Hey, true crime friends. Here is a sneak peek of this month's Patreon bonus episode. If you would like to listen to the whole episode, please go to patreon.com slash ivorytowerboilerroom. And with that, my dearies, let's get into it. Now, it's really kind of hard to find anyone who doesn't know about the Night Stalker. This serial killer terrorized Southern California between the summers of 1984 and 1985. Most recently, though, he was featured as a character on American Horror Story 1984. Played quite wonderfully, which is such a weird way to say, but I feel like he was just so accurately captured by actor Zach Vila. I am talking about none other than Richard Ramirez. Richard Ricardo Ramirez was born on February 29, 1960, to immigrant parents Julian and Mercedes Ramirez in El Paso, Texas. He was the youngest of their five children. Julian was an abusive parent, sadly, like most parents of serial killers. Richard also sustained quite a few head injuries. Now, I couldn't find out specifically if they were related to the abuse, but we do know that one specifically he endured at the age of five when he was hit in the head by a swing. Since that incident, Richard suffered from epileptic seizures, or fits as they called them. As Ramirez grew older, he formed a close relationship with his cousin Miguel. Miguel had recently returned home from the Vietnam War. Now, I'm not going to get into a whole history lesson on the Vietnam War. We all know that it was bad and completely unethical. And sadly, the U.S. soldiers were treated like absolute shit when they came back. You know, as if it was their decision for this war and not the assholes in charge of the country who made those men go and fight their war in the first place. You know. A lot of soldiers, though, were completely wrecked with PTSD after this, except maybe for the ones that joined with the strict intent of wanting to kill and, you know, just overall had the desire to kill and therefore were like, yeah, I get to join the army and kill people? Sure. Miguel, in my opinion, is part of that latter group. Miguel would show his young cousin graphic pictures of Vietnamese women and girls he claimed to have raped tortured and killed he also introduced Richard to marijuana now if you thought Miguel was such a peach before he also let Richard watch him shoot and kill his own wife when Richard was just 13 years old during this time Richard was understandably acting out he dropped out of high school his freshman year and started breaking into people's houses He was arrested for the first time in 1977 for a string of petty crimes. He was sent to a juvenile detention center and was put on probation for possession of marijuana in 1982. Soon after this, Richard decided to move to sunny California. It was there he progressed from weed to cocaine. Now, I just want to say this. Weed is not a gateway drug. Trauma is the gateway to drugs. And drug use. But also, I just want to point out that this was the 80s. So literally everyone, and I mean everyone, was doing cocaine. Just go search on Netflix, like drug lords. You know, any sort of documentary on cocaine will tell you that literally everyone, pretty much everyone, 
was doing cocaine in the 80s. So sadly, it wasn't uncommon. He also increased his burglarizing activities, which technically I guess he got pretty good at because, you know, he technically didn't really get caught. But again, this is also the 80s. So, I mean, there really wasn't a lot of technology that would have, you know, gotten him caught in the first place. Like there was no ring devices today like there are today. So he had also decided to take up Satanism. Yeah, you know. Some sources said that this was because he just wanted to rebel against his parents, which I guess would make sense. But I personally don't think that that's all of it. You know, looking at Richard's life and again, of course, this is just my own speculation. And please remember, I am not a mental health professional. I just like to interview them and talk to them and just have a sheer interest in that. But again, looking at Richard's life. You know, he had an abusive father who I'm pretty sure he had no close relationship with. The only person that he did have a close relationship was extremely violent. So, I mean, personally, as a God-fearing, believing person, I could see how he would either think God doesn't exist or that God just doesn't care about him. And after his cousin went to jail for murdering his wife... I could see how and why he would maybe want to gravitate towards someone or just something, you know, to give him a sense of belonging or a sense of purpose. And I'm not saying it's right, but, you know, I can say it. Real quick, like, I don't want to misrepresent my understanding of his gravitation towards violence and Satanism and Satan as sympathy you know just because he had this horrible upbringing and you know probably got him into liking horrible terribly awful things that doesn't mean he didn't know the difference between right and wrong while in california richard found himself in los angeles there he was arrested twice for car theft in 1981 and in 1984 Just as his drug addiction escalated, so did Richard's crimes. Now, there are a lot of robberies, rapes, and murders committed by Richard Ramirez between 1984 and 1985. The total number is around 25 surviving victims, and he killed at least a dozen people. Now, some reports say 13, and as we'll get into the trial, he is convicted of 13 deaths, Um, Some said 14. My guess is 13, just because, you know, it's unlucky and given his obsession with Satan, that would make sense. But as we'll get into later, you'll see after his arrest, some of um, his other crimes do come up. Now, because of the sheer number of victims and crimes that he committed, we're not going to be able to go through each one, but I am going to go through some of them in this episode. And this is not to discount any victim's experience here, obviously. That is not something that I would do. If you would like to learn more about the victims and get a better picture of the different crimes that he committed in more detail, I highly recommend watching that Netflix documentary that I mentioned at the top, The Night Stalker, The Hunt for a Serial Killer. 
It includes interviews with the detectives who worked the cases and some of the surviving victims and some of the victims or some of the murder victims' families as well. Richard's first known murder was committed on June 28, 1984. 79-year-old Jenny Vinkel was found in her home stabbed and sexually assaulted, and her home had been robbed. On March 17, 1985, Maria Hernandez and her roommate Dale Oazaki were attacked by Richard in their home. Maria was lucky enough to escape, but Dale was not so lucky, and sadly was murdered by Ramirez. After Richard left, he decided that the attack and murder at the Hernandez Okazaki home didn't do it enough for him. So less than two miles away in a well-lit neighborhood, Ramirez drug 30-year-old student Tsai Lan Yu from her car and shot her multiple times before driving away in another vehicle. My guess, it was stolen because that's just his M.O. At this point, the press had given him the moniker the Valley Intruder, which, okay, sure, that doesn't really encompass all the raping and murdering, but okay. One major piece of evidence detectives kept coming across was a shoe print. Now, the shoe print was unique for the fact that it came from an 11 and a half Avia shoe. Now, this shoe was extremely limited in the U.S., so much so that there were literally a handful of that shoe in a size 11 and a half that were sold in California at the time. And by handful, I mean like five or six. However, again, with the limited technology, there wasn't enough to really find the owner of this shoe. It was literally like finding a needle in a haystack. On March 27th, 1985, the Zaras were attacked. 64-year-old Vincent was shot first. Then Ramirez proceeded to brutally assault and stab 44-year-old Maxine before gouging her eyes out. You've heard me talk about my amazing friend Mandy before. She makes the best crochet, cre-cut, and custom home decor for reasonable prices. If you're looking for a one-of-a-kind gift or some new decor to add some new life into your home, look no further. Mandy has got you. I have quite a few items from her, ranging from a crocheted headband to Halloween decor items to my amazing and adorable Coraline ornament. Um, if you guys haven't noticed, I'm like obsessed with Coraline and I just love how Mandy makes it. She's also made me a Coraline doll that sits next to all of my true crime books. To order... Just slide in her DMs on Facebook and Instagram at Mandy Made It. That's M-A-N-D-E-E Made It on Facebook and Instagram. Once again, go to Mandy Made It on Facebook and Instagram. Send her a DM and order today. I want to personally shout out Kim Dallas, who first joined the Ivory Tower Boiler Room as an intern from Stony Brook University. She is graduating this spring, and we are so thankful that she then, after her internship, came onto the team as our film editor and audio editor, and we are going to miss her. She's leaving us, but she, we all know here, is going to have such a bright future in media. 
Thank you, Kim, from myself, Andrew Rimby, and from Mary, and from the spring interns. We can't wait to see what you do in your career. Bye, Kim. Thank you so much for listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. This is Andrew Rimby. I really hope you follow us on social media because that's where you get to see all of the exciting video clips, teasers, and humorous moments. So follow us on TikTok and Instagram at Ivory Tower Boiler Room and on our Twitter at Ivory Boiler Room. I hope you all are following the Ivory Tower Boiler Room Cafe and become a member for only $5. You get all of our interviews and episodes ad-free. You also get to watch the video interviews. You get to see my lovely face and the guest's lovely face. And you get access to all the bonus episodes. So Dr. Jake Newsom talking about the history of the pink triangle, Zach Topping talking about being an army vet and what that meant when he wrote a war novel and a dystopia novel. You get to hear Gregory Maguire's breaking news about the Wicked movie musical, Jesse Green talking about Richard Rogers and Oscar Hammerstein and what did Stephen Sondheim actually think about Rogers and Hammerstein. So head to patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room. Please, please provide me an iced coffee. I would love it because I need to stay up to do all these edits. So yeah, see you all in the Ivory Tower Boiler Room Cafe. And here is Mary DePippi from True Crime and Academia. Hi, everyone. I am Mary DePippi. As Andrew said, I am the host of True Crime and Academia. True Crime and Academia airs on Fridays at 730. Now to find all things True Crime and Academia, you can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at True Crime and Academia or on Twitter at TC and Academia because, well, they hate it when you have too many characters. Like I said, True Crime and Academia airs on Fridays at 730s. But if you are a subscriber, you get a bonus episode. That's right. A whole episode just to yourselves that no one else gets to hear. Like... I do a deep dive on the case of JonBenet Ramsey. I deep dive Casey Anthony. We talk about the history of the lobotomy. And most recently, we talked about the Night Stalker himself, Richard Ramirez. So if you want to access all of that extra wonderful content, go to patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room. And like Andrew said, if you could just please buy us a nice coffee, that would that would be great. That would be really, really yes, great. It would be great. We appreciate it. We also interact with all of you on Patreon. So ask us your insightful questions. We will answer them for you. And we want to thank our spring 23 interns, Andrea, Caitlin, Rosie, and Sheila. Thank you so much. And we can't wait to see you all back again in the ivory tower boiler room. Happy winter, everyone. <laughs>